Hello, Famous and Gravy listeners. Michael Osborne here. Before we begin today's episode, I want to tell you about a podcast called Seen Out Loud. Right now, there is a national movement underway to reimagine the child welfare system. But changing the child welfare system is going to require a new approach built on open-mindedness, curiosity, and compassion. Seen Out Loud brings listeners stories and conversations that recognize child welfare transformation starts by seeing families for who they truly are. It's a powerful show. So please subscribe and follow Seen Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Famous and Gravy, a podcast about quality of life as we see it, one dead celebrity at a time. You can also play our mobile quiz app at deadorliveapp.com. This person died in 2017 at age 97. He graduated in 1937 from Hollywood High School, where he briefly dated the future film actress Lana Turner. Okay. <laughs> Hollywood High School? Yeah, Hollywood High School. Don Rickles. <laughs> Not Don Rickles. Great guess, though. He was a decorated veteran of World War II. He was wounded by sniper fire on Cebu Island in the Philippines, leaving him with shrapnel in his left foot. Oh. Really? <laughs> Uh-oh. Fucking Bob Dole. Not Bob Dole, but not a bad guess. The full measure of his celebrity was not realized until 1981, when he was approached by a television producer. Um, Ronald Reagan. Not Ronald Reagan. Not a bad guess, but actually that's a terrible <laughs> guess. I take that back. That's a god-awful guess. Um, <laughs> he had an even-handed approach of hearing cases in which mere pocket change was at stake, but let millions of viewers know that no matter how seemingly insignificant their legal disputes, they too were entitled to their day in court. Gosh, what is his name? I'm going to kick myself when you tell me. Yeah, that's uh, Judge Wapner. <laughs> Definitely Wapner. Today's dead celebrity is Judge Joseph Wapner. What you are witnessing is real. The participants are not actors. They are actual litigants with a case pending in a California municipal court. Both parties have agreed to dismiss their court cases and have their dispute settled here in our forum. The People's Court. I told you, you could shake your head all you want to. Just telling you wrong. Did you go to law school? I spoke to the number one specialist in this field, Gary Edwards, and then you the give, Homeowners Association you give is me a brief. liable to did, me. Did you give me a brief the, of law? As to the did landlord. you give me a brief of law from this expert? Where is it? I don't have to give you a brief of you law. You don't have to. what the law is. The, oh, okay, okay. I then know that you know the law better than no, I do. No, I don't. Well, God but bless I checked you. On this Forget situation. it. Forget it. Listen, I'm here on principle, Your Honor. I want you Judgment to know something. for the defendant. Fine. Thank you, Your Honor. Welcome to Famous and Gravy. I'm Michael Osborne. My name is Amit Kapoor. And on this show, we choose a celebrity who died in the last 10 years and review their quality of life. We go through a series of categories to figure out the things in life that we would actually desire and ultimately answer a big question. Would I want that life? Today, Joseph A. Wapner died 2017, age 97. Category one, grading the first line of their obituary. Judging the first line of his obituary. <laughs> Judging the first line of their obituary. Joseph A. Wapner a California judge who became a widely recognized symbol of tough but fair-minded American jurisprudence during the 12 years he sat on the bench of the syndicated television show The People's Court, died on Sunday at his home in Los Angeles. He was 97. I think they nailed the landing. I think so, too. Kind of great. Yeah, I'm picturing like an Olympian coming off the pommel horse and just sticking it. <laughs> so, okay, what do you love in particular? I think it was long, but encompassing of the career, as well as had some opinion on the impact of his career. It was long, yeah. By long, I'm not just complimenting the fact that, yay, you wrote a long obituary, but right. they didn't just say Judge of the People's Court died. 
they threw in and added more to bookend the career as well as put some cultural symbolism in there. They even use the word symbol, a widely recognized symbol of tough but fair-minded American jurisprudence. That's a pretty great phrase. And I think it's true to him. I think so, too. Let's play some vocabulary. Jurisprudence. Yeah, I like that word. It's got stature. It's got connotations in the atmosphere of, like, the weight of the law behind it, you know, and law as an institution. Yeah, law is a final word, but also law is tactful, mm. right? It's the prudent <laughs> thing to do. Jurisprudence? Right? Yeah, 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 it, yeah. It's not righteousness. It's rightfulness. You know, I'm actually not 100% sure what the word jurisprudence means. Uh, Which high school English teacher is all, turning all it, around All right it means now. is a legal system. Perfect. Yeah. So that's open to our connotations. Anyway, it's a good word. Yeah. 12 years he sat on the bench of this syndicated television show. I like that they got the word syndicated in there. Tough but fair-minded? Where do you feel on that? Well, okay. So I actually have zero relationship with Judge oh, Walker. Get off your horse. I, dude, it's not a it's not a high-minded thing. I never watched People's Court growing up. Like I've watched plenty of Judge Judy. I know it was on TV when I was a little kid, but I didn't watch it. So the Rain Man reference, that was about it? The Rain Man reference was my first cultural touch point with Judge Wapner. That's it. Oh, boy. That's it. You blew it. You don't get to see your program. It's finished. One minute to Wapner. One minute to Wapner. One minute to Wapner. One minute to Wapner. I had you in there, Ray. You were in there. You had it all. They are in there making legal history, Ray. Legal history. This is ridiculous. I don't I don't like this revisionist history of your childhood. We were born less than 12 months apart. There's no way. There was a choice of what to watch on television, and I wasn't watching People's Court with Judge Wapner before. Okay. But you have in the last few weeks? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I've had to, like, fill in some gaps here because, as I said, I am familiar with modern iterations of the same idea. So part of me was interested to go back to the original small claims justice on TV thing and see, like, what does it look like? And with no other context, I have no problem signing off on the tough but fair-minded language. That, that feels right. Yeah, I don't take issue with it. I would say this, Judge Judy and some of the other ones I've seen are nastier. He's a coach tough. He's a strict teacher tough. Like, I'm going to teach you a lesson, yeah. but I'm not going to whip you. Yeah, it's not about berating you. So I think it's the right word. I think you put it well. Okay, well, let's grade this thing. What do you got? I'm going to go 10. I don't, I don't see anything missing. It is a little long. Like, to read this thing in one breath, I was exhausted by the end of it. And you were a little caught up by jurisprudence. Yeah, exactly. Which is a small gripe. I mean, there's something else that I've been thinking about a lot. I think I mentioned this on a previous episode. This is also not like a really hard one, in a way. I think there's a choice for the author to say, how big do I want to go? And they decided to go big. There's a world in which they go a lot smaller. And I think I would have been okay with that too. I don't know what necessarily needs to be said here. I think there's a world that they could have gone longer and talked about ushering in courtroom TV drama, Yeah, which existed a little bit before him in traffic court yeah, on TV. Divorce court. But divorce a, court, maybe. Yeah. But there was nothing prior to Wapner that developed this obsession with TV courtroom reality dramas. Uh, I think I'm going to go 10 too. Okay. I think this is a 10. I think it's a perfect obituary, and maybe there's areas to quibble with, but overall, this really gets it. So I don't think there's a whole lot to be said here. Good. I'm proud of you. You reached inside of your soul and said, I'm not going to be contrarian. I'm not going to argue for argument's sake. I feel in my heart that they did a good job. Okay. Category two, five things I love about you. Here, Amit and I work together to get five things that we love about this person, five reasons we want to have them basically on the show. Do you want to start? You want me to start? I'm easy on this. I want you to start, because I'll be honest, a couple of them were stripped from me in the opening quiz. Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm going to lead off with this. I think it's an interesting job. So I'm going to contrast that with something that was said in the Ruth Bader Ginsburg episode. Towards the end of that conversation, you were like, I don't like the job. And I agree with that. To be a Supreme Court justice and to be shaping policies and have the final say on what constitutes justice and what is allowed in the law and what's not. I don't like that. That's too much pressure. It's too much weight. It's too much power for me. But this level of jurisprudence, I think is actually great. Like it's a lot of little 
you know, windows into the whole spectrum of American society. He's got all these interesting stories that would just make for great cocktail chatter. So I think it's a fun job. And I think I would like this level of power, too, to be able to say, all right, I've heard you both out and I'm going with you. I think it'd be fun. And the max settlement, I think, during the peak of his career was, what, 1500 bucks? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, he did, and we, this needs to be said, there was a whole career before he wound up on the people's court. He was the superior court justice of California after serving in a law firm and then I think about 20 years in the judicial system. Where he is deciding on some really big cases. And I mean, he was a man of great reputation, right? He's not some... I don't right. know, he better call us all hack or yeah, something. Yeah, he got his law degree from USC, practiced law for at least 30 years right. before he got the call up to the People's Court. Right. This whole move to TV was post-retirement from that career. Yes. So, I mean, this was an add-on in the fourth quarter of his life. So that's what I got for number one. My number two will be a little bit of a piggyback. Okay. It's that he edged his way into fulfilling his childhood dream. Yes. <laughs> which is exactly what you said. He became the TV court judge after he retired, yeah. but he attended Hollywood High School, which I want to talk more about later. He transferred uh, to it to like because he, was he really in wanted to be an actor. Yeah. But the theater director at Hollywood High School said, You have no talent. Yeah. And so he hangs his head down. He goes to USC, fights in World War II, gets a law degree works as a lawyer and a judge for 30 plus years and then bam retires and he's kind of somewhat of an actor. Absolutely. That's a great one. To the extent that you and I kind of agree that being famous doesn't look like a whole lot of fun. If I was going to be famous, I'd love for that to start at 65. It's almost like a bucket list thing. You know what I always wanted to do? It's be an actor. And he gets it. Yes. That's great. All right. Should I take number three? Yes. All right. At least in his autobiography, he has a habit of bringing up his war record in unexpected moments. And it's kind of great. It reminds me a little bit of Walter from Big Lebowski. Lady, I got buddies who died face down in the muck so that you and I could enjoy this family restaurant. The beginning of his book, I actually brought this here. He starts it off by telling the story about this woman who's in a parking lot and there was some sort of like curb thing that had been built that she trips on and she said that thing should not be there. She twists an ankle. This is like in a hotel parking lot. And so she sues the hotel. The hotel had offered a settlement and she's saying, I don't want the settlement. And Judge Wapner is trying to talk her into the settlement. And he, I'm going to just read this here. Miss Swanson was a guest. She sat up straight in the chair in front of me and said, how can you even suggest such a thing? And then she leapt to her feet, forgetting her limp for a moment, virtually shrieked at me, you can't feel my pain. Yes, I said to her after a few moments of thought, but I have had my own pain and I know what pain feels like. <laughs> in those few moments, my brain had taken me on a long, painful journey back almost 30 years and 8,000 miles across the Pacific to a time when pain was almost all I could feel. Then he launches in this war story about uh, getting shrapnel in his foot. He does this like five or six times in the book. Like he'll just be talking with somebody who's dealing with something really petty and like doesn't matter at all, and he'll just brings this shit up. And I love that about him. I like it that you're not just giving it that he was a war hero, but that he like he wears it and wears it down. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a little but bit. But let's give Joseph Wapner a little credit. He did also have a bronze star and purple heart. What yeah. he got it for, that shrapnel in the foot, was essentially, as they say, saving somebody's life. Yes. And so I mean, I think he deserves to talk about it for a while, but I do like that aspect. He actually ends this story and this introduction by saying at the end, and actually I could feel her pain. I mean, he opens the book saying, it's important to be empathetic and I have life experience. So when somebody comes to me in a state of pain, I try and hearken back to the hardest things I went through in my life. I think that's actually genuine, but it also is unintentionally hilarious to me, just the way he does it, because it's a little clumsy when he references his war record. That's my number three. What do you got? So we're at number four. I'm going to go high moral ground, mm. and I will comma that with anti-whining. He cut a lot of people off, but not in a terrible reality way. He just simply wanted facts distilled. Being 24 hours a day. Are you being now. literal? 24 hours not a day, tied up your phone no, for three 20, weeks? No, he called day and night at 6 o'clock in the morning. How 12. much time did he tie up your phone? Three months. He's, he even called and not said. Not three months, 24 hours a day. He was a, a Ms. Warren, would you please. Sorry, Your Honor. Please be realistic and answer my questions. Yes, I'm sir. very serious about this. I know. It. You're wasting a lot of my time. 
he wasted a lot of my time and money. But you're now here in yes, my Your court. Honor. Yes, Your Honor. I mean, How I'm just much very upset. time did he take tying up your phone? Three months. <clears throat> Bless America. And that is what he tried to elevate people's understanding of the court of law to be. It's not about emotional arguments. It is about presenting the facts, and that's the best that you can do, even in this sort of simulated court of arbitration. Right. And he stopped a lot of people from whining. Again, he very much distilled that this is the best we can do in our judicial system is evidence-based, and he always reduced to that. You haven't satisfactorily answered the question as to why you would write a check for $250 when you didn't owe him a dime. He acted like as, as if that I should give him something in return. Return for what? I don't know. That's the point, sir. And I don't believe you. Case is finished. I've heard all the evidence I'm going to hear. And that's what this case turns on. It turns on credibility. Well, I was also going to tag it. And this is also in his opposition to Judge Judy. So Wapner hated the shit out of Judge Judy yeah. because of her abrasiveness and the way that she did not, in his opinion, take the high road in correcting people. She was more of a disciplinarian saying, you bad person for doing this, we're awarding them X hundred dollars because of your bad deeds and your misdeeds. Yeah, He was more saying, based on the evidence and based on what I understand, this is the court of law. Over and over again, when both as I read through his book, as I listen through some of the interviews he did after the show, I think he has an attitude of if we are going to put the law on some version of reality TV, it's got to be done in a certain way. He understands a kind of responsibility that I think that that's why he hates Judge Judy, is that he sees this as, oh, I get it, this is better television, but it's also communicates the wrong message about what law actually represents and what's important, what these values are. So I, I, don't, I don't think it's personal because I think he's got an educational mission. I think he's very clear about that. He sees like I am doing something good for society in terms of helping make the law experience more transparent. Well, they tried to sell it originally to the networks. The networks wanted to have an actor play it and do a comedy show out of it. And uh, to Ralph Edwards' credit and Stu Billet, they decided to do it the right way. And that's how I got involved. I think you could have said, and this was not in the obit, but you could have said symbol of reason. And maybe that's implied in American jurisprudence. But I think that more than anything, like what he cares about is not the emotionality of a thing, but what is knowable and what's not. Symbol of reason. I like that. I'm going to change it instead of saying high moral ground. I, however, do not want to lose the Judge Judy thing because okay. that he, he you saw really her. You really came to talk about Judge Judy, didn't no, you? No, I just loved it. I love that he didn't like her. <laughs> it's exactly that. He did not see her as a symbol of reason. Yeah. And the things that he said about her, I found both entertaining and unexpected. I just thought that they would be an allegiance of TV court judges. He said that she's not portraying a judge as I view a judge should act. She's discourteous and she's abrasive. She's not slightly insulting. She's insulting in capital letters. She does things I don't think a judge should do. She tells people to shut up. She's rude. She's arrogant. She demeans people. Incredible. I kind of want you to take number five. I've got something, but if you've got a fifth here, then maybe you take it. Okay, I'll take it. He's so California. Oh, interesting. I always like the sense of place. I think we talked about this a lot with Larry McMurtry of being so Texas. Yeah. This man was so California. How do you see that? I expand on your... Uh, uh, essentially, his entire life was in the L.A. Metroplex. Yeah. Born, studied, career, retirement, death, all within the area. Yeah. He attended Hollywood High School, attended USC, practiced the law in L.A. and in the Superior Court of L.A. and then became a TV judge in L.A. in a studio. Everything is California with him. Yeah, it's only in L.A. Well, it's and really it, Southern California. And it's too. only in L.A. that, like, you can go to Hollywood High School and say that you can't be an actor and say, fine, I'm going to go have a law career for 30-plus years and return to, aha, I'm an actor. Yeah. And so it's it's a California story. Yeah, I agree. With, I like that. And may I talk more about my Hollywood High School rabbit hole? Please. So I just wanted to dig up the other alumni of Hollywood High School. Oh, I'm so glad you did, did this. Did you do this? No. Okay, so we know uh, Lana Turner, 1936, Judge Wapner, 1937. Also in Judge Wapner's class, Mickey Rooney, wow. 1937. Dead or alive? 
Uh, if only there were an app that we could play this game on. <laughs> oh, you mean deadoraliveapp.com? Deadoraliveapp.com, best played on a mobile device. Um, so that was chronological alphabetically. Carol Burnett, class of 1951. Lawrence, Still with us. Yes. Lawrence Fishburne, class of 1980. Judy Garland, class of 1938. Ricky Nelson, class of 1957. Sarah Jessica Parker, class of 1983. John Ritter, class of 1966. Iona Skye, class of 1986. Wow. All Hollywood High alum. So let's recap. So first interesting job, you had... Uh, number two, shoehorned in his childhood dream. Number three, shoehorned in his war record. Number four, we had... Mine was high moral ground. You changed it to... Symbol of reason. Uh, also did not care for Judge Judy. Yes. And then five was... California man. California man. Okay. Shall we move on? Yes. All right. Category three. Malkovich, Malkovich. This category is named after the movie Being John Malkovich, in which people take a little... Water slide into John Malkovich's mind, and they can have a front row seat to his experiences. I want you to go first, because I'm a little worried about overlap here. Okay. In Judge Wapner's biography, View from the Bench, he talks about the story that wound up in the Guinness Book of World Records. Do you know this one? No, I don't. Okay. He is very, very, very big on settling out of court. He sort of thinks that court should always be a last resort, and he's sort of impassioned about it in the chapter he speaks on this. Somewhere in the late 70s, there is a very high-profile divorce of a man named Jack Kent Cook and Barbara Jean Carnegie. This was the former owner of the Washington Redskins. Correct. Okay. He And also the Lakers, uh, the L.A. Kings, the L.A. Wolves, which is a soccer team, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. They were having a hard time settling on the divorce. And this judge who's involved in it calls in Wapner— uh, he has this sort of marathon settling session where they go for eight days, and at the end of it, he's able to reach a settlement between the two parties, which at the time wound up being the largest divorce settlement ever. Barbara Jean gets something like $42 million, which in today's terms, according to Wikipedia, is about $157 million. I like this as a Malkovich moment because to feel so strongly about being able to settle a case and to like find resolution between parties and not have it go to trial that you think you care more about that process than anybody else. But then at the end of it, you actually wind up in the Guinness Book of World Records for having accomplished it. I want to know what that accomplishment feels like. Is that trivial or is it super duper meaningful? I don't know. I would think meaningful. I, think I mean, I think if you can if you can settle that out of court, you've got to think, can I negotiate peace treaties? That's a really interesting comment in a way, because I do feel like he's got that kind of confidence and his ability to get people in the middle of disagreements to move closer together. I mean, I think he sees himself as sort of a uniter, you know? I mean, he's obviously dealing every day with people who the very nature of his work is adversarial. But I feel like what he sees as his mission in life is to remove points of disagreement. So that's my Malkovich moment. Great one. What do you got? I'm going to go with the firing from the people's court. Ah, okay. This is very, very Yogi Berra. Yeah. It's almost an identical story. So his stint on the people's court ran from 1981 to 1993, upwards of more than 2,400 cases. Mm -hmm. And it started to wane in popularity as other 90s programs ushered in, and they canceled him. And they did not tell him. Yeah. They claimed, at least the producers, that they tried to reach out to him and couldn't reach him. So instead, they just leaked it to the press. I think he disputes that. Yes. So his brother-in-law, like, reads it in the paper that People's Court is not being renewed, tells him, and Wapner learns that way that he lost his job. And so this is a man who was a symbol of reason, mm -hmm. whose career stood for due process and, in his view, fairness. Yeah. And he was treated unfairly. His exact words, my feelings were hurt. My feelings were very, very hurt. Yeah. Not in the cancellation, but the fact that he had to find out in a roundabout way. And so what I want to know in the Malkovich waterslide behind his eyes is, was his sense of karmic justice shaken or shattered in that moment? I stand for something. I stand as a symbol of due process, of doing the right thing, and this is how I'm treated. I got so many questions I want to talk about that may be outside of Famous and Gravy, but I'm going to do it a little bit here. The first one I have is, 
I don't think we ever covered how you felt about Judge Wapner growing up. I said I never watched People's Court when I was a kid. I mean, I assume that this was your introduction to what a courtroom looks like. Yes. What's your take on him, or what was your childhood impression of the man? I liked him. I think I was scared of him in the same way I would be scared of a school principal, one that I was deferential towards. Okay. And so I did watch the show. I did like the show. However, I think it's had an undue impact later on on me. Elaborate on that, because that was kind of my second question. I spent some of the last week re-watching episodes. I think I told you this this morning on the phone. I was like, sorry, I slept in. I was up late last night watching Wapner. Yeah. And this is what I didn't like about the show is what it did for me as a child was make me think that half the world are liars. Because every case, whether it's about a slice of pizza or a bicycle or a lawnmower, they were so contentious about this side is a liar and I'm telling the truth and there and on the other side is a lie. And everyone stood their ground so firmly. And I remember having this thought that so much of the world's problems could be solved if people just didn't lie. Because I think this ties into your Malkovich question in an interesting way. The interviews I watched with him, the interviewers were kind of pushing on this, like, was the People's Court a good thing for society kind of question. I consulted with the chairman of the Ethics Committee of the State Bar, asked him if there would be anything unethical about doing this, and they both assured me it was fine. There's a funny kind of true crime element. What makes it interesting is like, is this person lying or not? And so you cannot help but watch something like People's Court or Judge Judy or any of them and and, and size people up, you know, and, and make judgments in your mind and play the role of judge in a vicarious way. I'm not sure that's a healthy thing. I am a hard no on whether it's a positive thing But that's thing or not, not where Wapner landed. Wapner landed, and I am educating America on what law and the legal system is all about and how great it is, even though it's imperfect. And I think this is the question you're raising with your Malkovich moment. I don't think he saw a conflict in turning that into some form of entertainment on a syndicated television show. However, the moment he is unceremoniously not renewed or canceled, does he question that line of thinking? Is that what you're getting at? Yes, exactly. Yeah. That what he believed he was doing was showing the country or the world how the court system works. Yeah. What he was actually doing was hosting an entertainment show, which he was unceremoniously dismissed for. Right. What I'm also adding to that, or what you're adding to that, is that I think it was bad for us, and I think it was bad for me, yeah. of forming this impression that half the people are lying. It was just this idea of a dissolution of meaningful relationship over petty things. It's funny because it looks so like sort of quaint and innocuous now, but I agree. Maybe it's an indictment of reality television overall, but I agree with you, Amit. It doesn't look harmful, and it is. And I think we need to stew on it as we build up to the regrets category. I agree. But no question, there's also this butterfly effect that we need to contemplate about all the things that followed that yeah. in terms of televised court, right? OJ happened two years after Wapner left the People's Court. I think you put your finger on an interesting moment that actually highlights some of the stuff I'm hoping we can talk about. Okay. So. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. All right, let's go on. Category four, love and marriage. How many marriages? Also, how many kids? And is there anything public about these relationships? I'll take this. One marriage to Mildred. She went by Mickey, though. Yeah, but her name's Mildred. I love the name Mickey. I think that's adorable I love for the a name woman. Mildred, but yeah, they're both good. 71 years they are married. Looks like old-timey love. I wrote down old-timey love. How is that? He definitely, like, pays her tribute in his book and and brings her up in a, in a sort of loving way, but it's not effusive. This isn't Marty and Ruth. It looks like a more, I don't know. Banana splits and doo-wop dances. Yeah. For a marriage that lasted 71 years, I kind of wanted to hear a little bit more about it and had a hard time finding data. I couldn't find much either on the actual marriage. Yeah. So Joe was 27 when they got married, three kids, two sons who both went into law and his father was in law too. So uh, he did have a daughter who died when the daughter was age 56. This was just a couple of years before Wapner died. Yeah, she died in 2015. Correct. And he had four grandkids, one great grandkid. I wrote overall, very nice, very boring. I'm not sure there's a whole lot to be known here or said. Okay. Okay. Should we move on? Yes. Category five, net worth. I found $15 million. I mean, you're on the People's Court for 13 years. It's syndicated. That's it. He had a couple of endorsements afterwards. There was the Animal Court. Mm -hmm. That's royalty money, I, I think. Yeah, maybe. What do you think his net worth would have been in 1980 before he does People's Court? If he was strictly a lawyer and then— And then uh, a judge, yeah. I mean, it seems like middle to upper middle class income. Part of the country club is sort of the vibe I get. His net worth, had he still lived to 97, would be $1 million. I suspect that's right. I don't know. I didn't have a major reaction to this. Yeah, I don't have an additional strong reaction, positive or negative, to it. Yeah. I'm saying good for you, Joseph, if you were able to get that extra $14 million of value by going in this route of being a TV judge. We're, half, we're in the middle of this discussion of whether it was harmful or not. Yeah. So I'm not sure quite yet about that, but at least good for you. Did you also see Animal Court? <laughs> The animal court is now in session. How do you do? Objection is overruled. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear from either you or the duck anymore. Yeah, I just briefly watched clips of it. Were you aware of it before getting ready for this? Vaguely. I, I, I bring it up because I wonder what the compensation for animals court looked like. So animals court was on the animal planet channel mm -hmm. for about two years. And every, it was the same thing as people's court, except every case involved a animal. Exactly. Like somebody had hurt somebody else's pet. Yeah. Some pet had chewed up wires or something. So all I did was watch a super clip of this thing and it looked ridiculous. It does <laughs> look ridiculous. It looked, I mean, it looked a little demeaning, honestly. For him? Yeah, for I think so. I mean, it, one of the things we're kind of touching upon along the way is like by participating in a presentation of justice that really does get turned into entertainment, did he cheapen the institution? I think exhibit A for me is animals court, which is like ridiculous. I agree with you. Maybe there was some money there too, which eventually- But did he need million. it that much more if he died with 15 million in the bank? I don't think the extra one or two that may have come from a couple of years of Animal Planet made a difference in his life. Yeah, I agree. I'm saying bad move, Judge. I agree with that. I actually have this in regrets. All right. Category six, Simpsons, Saturday Night Live, or Hall of Fame. This category is a measure of how famous a person is. We include both guest appearances on SNL or The Simpsons, as well as impersonations. All right. For The Simpsons, the only thing I got was there is an episode in season five called Springfield with the S as a dollar sign. And the subtitle is How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Legalized Gambling. So Springfield legalizes gambling. I remember this episode. Yeah. Homer becomes a dealer. Uh, and as he's at the blackjack table, 
cartoon characters that look like Tom Cruise and uh, and Dustin Hoffman are at the table and do that card counting thing again. Come on, do it again. Definitely have to leave the table. No, please, 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 please. Gotta watch Wapner. Leave the table. Yeah, leave the table. No. And then you remember Rain Man has that kind of flip out where he's like hitting his hand against his head and going, ah, he and Homer both start doing that. It's actually a funny little 30 second clip. Okay. That's it for The Simpsons. SNL, uh, there's actually kind of a lot here. So Phil Hartman impersonated him on a skit modeled after People's Court. There's also, and I couldn't find the video for this, but in an impersonation with Joe Piscopo, um, this is in the Eddie Murphy years. Eddie Murphy was playing Velvet Jones, if you remember that character. I do. Yeah, Velvet Jones. He was asked, by the way, to appear and never did. That and I he, saw. And he yeah. said his kids were were pissed at him that he never this did. This is a regret. Yeah, he declined. And his kids and his wife were like, you should have gone on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, you're going to do, do fucking Animal Court later. That's right. And while you're declining Saturday Night Live. Somehow he's too good for it. And he thought there was something cheapening about it, which I didn't totally get. He does have a Hollywood Walk of Fame, which he got in 2009. According to IMDb, he was on Arsenio Hall in 1989. Yeah, I thought she'd like that. Okay. And then, of course, we have to mention the Tonight Show appearance, even though this is kind of outside the category, the Johnny Carson, David Letterman dispute, where they brought in Judge Wapner to settle it. It's actually a hilarious 15 minutes. Would you welcome, please, Judge Joseph Wapner. Gentlemen, since this is uh, an arbitration, I'm going to have to ask you to be sworn. You and each of you do solemnly swear the testimony you are about to give in these proceedings shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you guide. More or less, sir. Yes. <laughs> yes, sir. There's got to be more. Yes, yes, sir. All right. Do I, do I begin, Judge? You, what happens, sir? You wait for me, Mr. Lowe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We'll show notes it. We'll show notes it. But this is also the very first time, at least according to Wapner, that anybody was allowed to sit in Johnny Carson's seat during a skit. Really? Yeah. But this skit is definitely worth a watch. Okay. Overall, pretty famous, although I do think name recognition has dropped off a cliff for the younger folks. I think if you're over 40, you know who Judge Wapner is. If you're under, I really wonder. Something that we should just all be a little ashamed of. The Washington Post poll conducted in 1989 ask people to name any of the nine justices on the Supreme Court. And two-thirds of their survey population could not name a single one. Then they asked who is the judge of the People's Court. 55% of the people got it right. Yeah, that tracks. (laughs) That's incredible. So, I don't know. He falls into the mean gene category of fame here. Robin Leach in that era, too. Yeah, totally. There's that, like, next-level 80s fame, and then all but disappears. Yeah, this whole thing smells of Robin Leach. Yeah. Of our very first episode I one. agree with that, actually. I think there's some real similarities. All right. Category seven, over-under. In this category, we look at the life expectancy for a year somebody was born to see if they beat the house odds and as a measure of grace. Life expectancy for men in the U.S. in 1919 was 55.3. He lived to 97, so over by about 42 years. Incredible. Incredible. With shrapnel in his foot. With shrapnel. And I want to go right to the grace, honestly, because he, like, the interviews I saw of him in his 80s, I mean, he's still really pretty sharp. Yeah. Lifelong tennis player, pretty fit, you know, he, he wore it well. He did. He's he, very graceful. He looked good. He was very articulate all throughout everything I saw. Yeah. He maintained a, a handsomeness, I would even say. I agree. Well into it. Yeah. And certainly an authority and like a presence. Like, I mean, he's very like, I don't know, there. You know? Had, so did we get any secrets? Like, what's the secret to longevity from Joseph A. Wapner? That's a good question. I couldn't find any. He's pretty emphatic about exercise. Yes. And I like that about him, actually. Tennis comes up quite a bit. Anyway, high marks for Grace. All right, let's take a break. Michael, I want to talk to you about a void in my life. Uh, This is very famous in gravy. What's missing? It's in my liquor cabinet, Michael. I have lots of great whiskeys, things that I stand behind, very flavorful ones. Yeah. I don't have that in gin. Um, I have good gins. I have nice labels, but they all sort of taste the same. There's not the, oh my God, gin. 
I have great news for you. You have great news for me. I have great news for you. Have you heard about Linden Leaf, Jen? Linden Leaf products? I have not, but I think I know how to spell it. I'm pretty certain it's L-I-N-D-E-N. Correct. Linden Leaf is the first spirits company to handcraft their ultra premium products at the molecular level. Let me say that again, at the molecular level. Fine tuning flavors to create perfectly harmonious and exceptionally balanced spirits. So perhaps if I put this product in my liquor cabinet, I would have a flavorful aromatic gin that I can stand behind, earn credibility with all the guests and dignitaries that come to my apartment as I offer them a cocktail. You know who else you can serve? Famous and gravy listeners. You want to tell them about this? Everyone can find Linden Leaf products at shoplindenleaf.com, but only Famous and Gravy listeners can receive 20% off their first order using promo code FAMOUS20. That's FAMOUS20. Wow. Yeah, that is a hell of a deal for an ultra premium product. That's incredible. Famous and Gravy listeners, you've got to try this. Linden Leaf 88 Gin, a perfectly balanced flavor experience crafted and tuned at the molecular level. Angela Lansbury. I'm going to say she's alive. Is she alive? Please tell me. The rules are simple. As of this recording, Angela Lansbury is still with us at 96 years old. Oh, thank God. (laughs) Dead or alive. Pete Rose. Oh, Pete Rose is alive. I mean, he's probably dead to many people, but alive in terms of the clinical sense. In the clinical sense, he is 81 years old. Farrah Fawcett. Oh, Farrah Fawcett's alive. I mean, come on now. I'm afraid we lost her. Wait, wait, no. (laughs) Test your knowledge. Deadoralive.app.com. We're now going to get into the more introspective questions, what we think it would have been like to have been this person. The first of these categories, man in the mirror. What did this person think about their own reflection? I didn't complicate this. I went definitely liked it. Definitely liked it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Okay. (laughs) All right. Next category, outgoing message. Like man in the mirror, how do we think they felt about the sound of their own voice when they heard it on an answering machine or outgoing voicemail? And would they have left it or would they have used the default setting? I wrote definitely liked it. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that he would have left the voicemail on his answering machine. Yeah. And let's not discard that a lot of the reason for his long streak on the people's court is he was very sarcastic. He threw in a lot of side jokes, yeah. right? And I think this harks back to the wanting to be an actor as a child. So I think he would also have fun with the outgoing message. He is an interesting figure to have been cast at this role. Like he does have both an authority and a little bit of like an in charge, as you put it earlier, principal kind of quality, but he's got a likability too. You scratched his car? What did you scratch it with? My key ring. What did you scratch on his car? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. And you're allowed? You're allowed to tell me what I you wrote did. bastard in the back of it. Bastard? Yeah. Okay. I've heard that word before. Okay. I mean, <laughs> uh, he's good on camera. That yeah. simple. Rewatching a lot of this stuff in preparation for this episode, I had a lot of Trebek yeah. similarities that I was sensing, I see both that. in appearance, voice, subtle jokes. Also kind of like I know what I'm there for and what my role is here in terms of playing the role of myself on TV. All right, category 10. Regrets, public or private? What we really want to know is what, if anything, kept this person awake at night. So we had a couple of the easy ones that came up earlier. Yeah, in fact, all the stuff I have has already come up. I think I want to talk about it a little bit more. Certainly being unceremoniously dismissed. I don't know if that's a regret, but I think it does say something about how he was communicating with the showrunners and the producers. I think it could be a regret in putting too much trust. Yes, I think that's right. I think that's a good way of putting it. I'm going to, this is in the private category. Animal court. This is a joke. Are you kidding me? There's like ducks and cows in the frickin' courtroom. Is that what he thinks of your testimony? I guess. (laughs) (laughs) You might have to take all the animals out. It's just become so cartoonish. It does seem like there's a story here of a television program that was created in the early 80s that as ratings went down, the producers eventually decided, you know what we need? Somebody nasty. We need more conflict on TV. We need somebody who's going to be abrasive, like Judge Judy. And then the move to Animal Court almost looks desperate. Yes. I mean, almost. it's a little pathetic. Yeah. 
I don't want to get on too much of a high horse here, but I do wonder if another possible regret here, I think, is that he describes over and over that he has a, a mission of education. And I think that it's possible he failed in that endeavor. I'm not sure he ever saw that necessarily, but I think your point earlier that the story this is really telling is half the people out there are lying and people need a judge in a white robe to settle petty disputes and that actually most people are cheap and petty or, or something like that. And the third part that troubled me is that petty things can sever connections. Yes. I mean, one of the things he says in his book is that he talks about the neighborliness he felt during the Great Depression years and during the war years. You know, he tells the story about a friend who had children die and they all just like went and were around him. And he's like, I, I see less and less neighborliness. And he's like, if there's anything I want you to take away from this book, it's that I value loyalty and friendship. He has this thing about two-word idioms. He wrote on his bench, patience and restraint. And every time he got frustrated, he would look at a little note that said patience and restraint. And then at the end of his book, he tries to land the whole thing on this message of friendship and loyalty. But I think this is the paradox of him. Yeah, right. So he yes, as a character is, yes. is has the patience and restraint. He presented that way. He had an educational mission. The show as a whole conveyed the exact opposite. It started by saying, these are not actors. These are real people in real disputes, and this is being settled. And so people out there are forming this impression of a divided world, yeah. of love and friendship disconnected because people lie. Have you ever heard of this book, Amusing Ourselves to Death? Yes. Have you ever read it? No. I just finished it. I finally picked it up. And I can't do it justice in this conversation. But, I mean, really the argument is that when you move from a world where most people are reading information, um, whether that's through newspapers or books or what have you, when you move from that into an electronic world, television and now today social media, the internet, screens, that what you are now doing is forcing institutions to go through a medium that is built around entertainment. And there is no way of preserving the sanctity of that institution once you do it. And I don't think Wapner, <laughs> or any of us maybe, understood what he was up against. He may have had this mission of, I want to show America the morals and values and high-mindedness that we bring to disputes in a court of law. And instead, what he showed is, look at how petty people are and look at how like flawed we are and most people are lying. So is this a regret or not? I have to believe that somewhere at three in the morning, you know, as he's thinking about how he lost the job and all that, that idea had to have crossed his mind because he's a smart guy. I have to think so too, especially living into 2017, yeah. post all these things that reality has done reality meaning reality television, to our psyches and our views and divisive opinions on everything. I think he was just an engineer hired for Skynet. I think he was hired to do something that he was good at, and he did it properly, and he did it through his own definition and through his own values, but what they created was a beast. Yeah. I think he is smart enough just to see where that beast reached. But how much personal responsibility do you take for that? You know what I mean? I think it's weighed in, yeah. but I don't think personal responsibility is part of it. He can't be responsible for knowing or having future binoculars but then who is? where this impact but is. But then who is, right? If you're not somebody who has authority and respect and 55% of Americans think you could be running, you know, on the Supreme Court, um, you know, I mean, he's, he does have power. That's the thing. And, and I think he's like striving to convey all this sort of moral high ground. And yet... At the end of the day, I, I'm not even sure it's possible. Your question of who is, though, I don't know. Is it the producers of the show? Is it these people that just created programming for entertainment's sake, but actually sampling from real lives and confusing the audience on what the difference between real and staged is? Yeah, I don't know. I think it is an important question. Let's move on. Okay. Category 11. Good dreams, bad dreams. This is not about personal perception, but does this person have a haunted look in the eye, something that suggests inner turmoil, inner demons, unresolved trauma? I went good. I went good also. You said something a minute ago about being kept up late at night by the the where where this whole thing ended out yeah. in reality courtrooms. 
I'm just going to add another point. He even one-upped Alex Trebek on the work week. So one of the things I loved about Alex Trebek was he did it all in two days a week. Yes. Judge Wapner worked one day a week. That's great. They did 10 episodes in one day and done, off for six days, slept well. So sleep tight, sweet judge. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right. Category 12? Mm -hmm. Cocktail, coffee, or cannabis? This is where we ask, which one would we most want to do with our dead celebrity? Uh, this may be a question of what kind of drug sounds like the most fun, or maybe this is about access and trying to get at a part of their personality we're most curious about. Go ahead. I went cocktail. I think a martini at the tennis club sounds nice. I think he's got great stories. <laughs> Are and both I, of you in all whites? <laughs> absolutely. The white socks, you know, pulled up. I think he's got good cocktail chatter. I think he's got a lot of interesting stories of today what happened. And he has an opinion about how he wants the world to be. But I also do see himself as somebody striving for peace and saying, can you believe these people? Not in a way that's judgmental to laugh at them, but just to shine light on the world. That if you want to understand people and you want to understand society, then you need to understand their conflicts. What are they arguing about? And what are the stories they're telling themselves about the world? I think he'd just be great to sit and listen to story after story. And that is, for what it's worth, how his biography reads. Yeah, and you would get some highly entertaining stories in addition totally. to those educational ones. Totally. I mean, and I think the question of what is justice— you know, and how do we achieve it is an interesting question for any society. And I think, you know, he'll say over and over, world's not perfect, the system's not perfect, but it's the best thing we've got and it's here to be honored. And I think every story he would tell would be about his effort to hit that cloudy standard, you know, that goal that's just out of reach. Yeah. I went coffee. Mm. I want to have this debate that we talked about in regrets of the idea of harmless entertainment, because I don't think it is. He's told himself a story that he's stood by, at least for as long as we know, that it was an educational tool. And I don't want to have a combative debate, but I want to hear him out. And I want to tell him that this is, honestly, I think this programming amongst one of just very few in my childhood is one that led me to a belief in the world that was negative. Yeah. And I want to have that out with him. I do too, actually. So by the third martini, yeah. you can bring up the tough topic. Well, I mean— but I don't know that he would also have something to offer. He's inside of this problem. He's going to say, well, that's why every day I sat down and I had this note on my bench that said patience and restraint. And that's why when I wrote my biography, I talked about how I want to feel your pain. And I think that everybody is in a state of pain. I think he's got a lot of heart and a lot of compassion. And if you were to present him with the case that maybe reality TV and reality justice and courtroom justice is actually a bad thing for America and for the world, I think he would say, well, here's me trying to do my best part in it. I don't think you'd get a satisfying answer from that. I think you should still have the coffee with him. I don't mean to throw water on that. I'm just, I'm not sure that he's got the answer we would want to that question, you know? Then maybe I just want to plant the seed. Yeah. Fair enough. So you want two coffees. You want a coffee on Sunday and then maybe talk to him on Thursday. Maybe so. If he's available. I mean, if it's Thursday, it's not the one work day. It's 97. He's got a lot of time. This is true. Well, we really need to get our timing. Like, where are we placing ourselves? There's Look, don't dig into the categories <laughs> now, man. There's some creative liberties we're taking. All right. I think we're here. The Vanderbeek. Named after James Vanderbeek, who famously said in Varsity Blues, I don't want your life. So why don't you start? Okay. You know, if you look at it in a superficial light, long marriage... Lots of children, a little bit of tragedy in there, but that's going to happen if you live to age 97. An interesting job, well compensated, late in life fame, fulfilled the childhood dream, a good stories and good storyteller. What's not to like? Maybe it's a little boring, but I don't know. What makes life interesting to me is stories and getting to know other people. You know, that's what makes life interesting is finding out about other people's experiences. And this is a great way to do it. So all signs kind of point to, yeah, I'd take this life. And I guess if I was to sort of push myself a little bit more on that and say, is there anything missing here? There's something lacking here for me that I can't quite put my finger on. And until I can put my finger on it, I, I feel like the honest jurisprudence is to say yes. What about you? I really felt strongly the last week re-watching these shows from 30 years ago and what I think they did to my psyche of just believing how much lying there is out there and how much division and combat and all there is amongst neighbors and friends. 
I really, really don't like what that message sent. But you said earlier, who is actually responsible for that? I don't know that Joseph Wapner is, because I do not think that we can place the burden of him being a fortune teller of where this is going to lead. It seems like the best decision you can make with the information available to you at the time. You've justified it with a very good moral reason to work in the education of the law on a public platform. Where television leads beyond that, where a young mind gets further shaped after that, you can't isolate the negative impact 40 years later. I just don't think that's fair. And so if I take the superficial view, the word that you used, of fulfilling a childhood dream, going to the same high school as Lawrence Fishburne and Iona Skye, serving your country in the war, having what seems to be a long, stable marriage, having children, also having grandchildren and great-grandchildren, Taking a pretty good career pivot, even though you never left Los Angeles, you went from being a court justice to essentially a TV spokesperson and a personality. Yeah. And you were also doing it in the way that maybe Bill Nye or Neil deGrasse Tyson might see the same type of pivot. I wouldn't want to be betrayed as he was in being dismissed from the show. I certainly would not want to do the animals court. And so, yeah, I'm also a lean yes. I'm not an emphatic yes. I have a feeling I'm leaning a little more than you. Actually, I'm leaning a little harder because something in there made me think of something that I don't think we've quite talked about enough. You know, it's come up before on the show that I'm basically scared of old age. I'm scared of my body deteriorating, of not having all my faculties, of not being respected. He actually makes old age look pretty fun. Yeah. You know, if you stop the whole Wapner life at age 60, it's pretty good. What's not to love? But the last 30 years are kind of great. I mean, they're more great than not great, you know? I think I'm actually maybe an emphatic yes. Because he also stands for something. So I like the integrity. Okay. Well, are we there? Yeah. Pearly Gates. Okay. Michael, you are Joseph A. Wapner at the Pearly Gate, standing before you as St. Peter, the proxy for all things afterlife. Uh, But I'm Jewish. Uh, I'm the Unitarian proxy for all things afterlife. Okay. Make your case. St. Peter, you're a judge. I'm a judge. So you and I both understand justice, I think. I'll tell you what I understand about justice. It is an imperfect standard. I'm not sure any of us can knock it out of the park and be perfect. But I think the point is to always try to be a little bit more perfect. And I tried to do that in my life and in my profession. And more than that, I tried to communicate to everybody around the world that that's what we should all be striving to do, is to be a little bit more perfect, to find compromise, to see other people's points of view, to bring humanity and compassion to all our interactions. I think I did that well on the people's court. And certainly that's why I took the job. I was there to elevate the rule of law as something that we should all honor and strive for, because while it may be confusing to some people, having a standard of law is what sets us all free and gives us all the opportunity to be the most we can be in life. That's what I was about for all of my career and all of my life. So as you judge me, I hope you'll definitely let me in. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Famous and Gravy. If you're enjoying our show, please tell your friends about us. Help spread the word. Also, if you're interested in participating in the opening segment where we quiz people about who today's dead celebrity is, feel free to submit your name. You can reach us at hello at famousandgravy.com. That's hello at famousandgravy.com. Find us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Famous and Gravy. And we also have a newsletter, which you can sign up for on our website, FamousAndGravy.com. Famous and Gravy was created by Amit Kapoor and me, Michael Osborne. This episode was produced by Jacob Weiss. Original theme music by Kevin Strang. And thanks so much to this week's sponsor, Linden Leaf Organic Molecular Spirits. 
Again, you can get a 20% discount on our website if you use our promo code FAMOUS20. That's two zero. Thanks for listening. See you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.